Hello! I know I'm interrupting, but before this podcast, 3CR has an important public service announcement. Currently, we are running our annual Radiothon, where we ask for your donations to keep community broadcasting alive. We rely on your support to keep media alternative. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, I hope you enjoy your show. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning. This is Annie for Showreel, a look at the Australian film industry. And uh, that film I was talking about in the previous program was made by Robert Connolly about Julian Assange. A very interesting film about early uh, Melbourne, really, uh, early um, uh, 80s. Uh, 780s really yeah and uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the same period which through the eyes of a documentary that's been made about uh, uh, the in excess lead singer and uh, that's why we played Mystify Uh, it's called Mystify in fact it's about Michael Hutchins and it's a film that's been put together by Richard Lowenstein, uh, the great uh, Australian director, Richard Lowenstein, who was responsible for a variety of films, but one of them that sticks in mind, of course, is Dogs in Space, and that was, in fact, uh, uh, Michael Hutchins was the lead in that film, if you have not seen it. And uh, it is probably a great... uh, It's a particular slice of uh, 80s Australian Melbourne life, that film, and... uh, of course, there's a sad ending to Michael Hutchins, uh, but the film itself, Mystify, is quite extraordinary, I thought. I really uh, found it quite a compelling film. And so I went out of my way to see if I could have a yarn with uh, Richard Lowenstein about this film. And he uh, was uh, open to having a chat uh, before he was about to take a jet plane and go off to some of the... Uh, film festivals where the film will be showing. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's kick off with uh, Richard Lowenstein. Oh, before we do, um, thank you very much for the people who put some money into the pot to keep uh, Showreel going. Uh, 3CR still has to make uh, some money for its Radiothon target. It's around 170000 but we need to make 250000 If you're really interested in putting some more money into the pot, then put it into Solidarity Breakfast and stick together. We haven't reached our targets. And uh, they're two of the programs that I'm involved in. <laughs> anyway, moving right along, here's Richard Lowenstein. Okay, I was kind of interested in um, the uh, parameters you set yourself for this film. Can you
can you talk to me about that? Parameters. Well, the reason why I say it is because there's uh, lots of things that you could have talked about about Michael Hutchins. Um, and, uh, of course, you're the director of... Uh, Dogs in Space, so you would have had a whole range of material that related to that, but uh, you don't use any of that material. You were intent on talking about something else and you used other yeah. types of material. So I... F- well, yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. Um, basically, I wanted to tell an involving story um, with a narrative thread of this person that I knew both as a friend and as an artist and I wanted to tell it via those closest with him and um, but that also involved things like you know keeping the story moving and plot and um, and specifically in regard to you know the filming of Dogs in Space and, and Michael being an actor and all that it was it was definitely you know part of his character but um the restrictions of a of a work for the cinema, you know, of around a hundred or a hundred and ten minutes um, maximum, just sort of do. Um, I mean, they're constraints which do um, force you to keep the story moving if you want to um, not just involve the fans or people who know about Michael and are going to be intrigued anyway, but the strangers who walk in and say, you know, tell us a story. And um, so I was very well aware that Michael's acting career or his time as an actor was um, character detail. But when we did edit it into the film, it did seem to stop the forward movement of the story. And um, and it was important to me because I, I believed it wasn't just a loving character portrait. I was actually telling the story almost like a fable you know, a fable of, you know, which could be an unknown rock star. But if you did know who we're making the film about, that's an added benefit. But it, I felt there was something much more important to tell in the actual overall story than rather the, the embroidered details. And so we ended up pulling that stuff out and, um, and keeping to a tight story. And, uh, and that will be a DVD extra um, when the DVD and streaming options become available, you'll be able to see that as an extra 10-minute section. Yeah, I, I wasn't being disparaging about that. I'm just really no, interested no, no. in it because it's so fascinating to me. The whole film is fascinating because actually it's a whole period of time. I mean, because Michael Hutchins actually the same age as me and it's the same period. And, yeah. I mean, I was actually an extra in... Um, I was at Triple R and stuff when this was all being oh, done. Right. So it's all really quite no. fascinating to me. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't I wasn't criticising us, but it's an interesting question. I was just going, it's like... I mean, honestly, there was a longer version where we had all this stuff in it and, and it was our international partners, the BBC and our international sales agents that kept saying... You know, it's great stuff, but we really do have to um, keep the story moving forward. And it kind of does, by its nature, just stop the story and tells you about his acting, you know, love of acting. And uh, so I did want it in. And in fact, we got to a stage where I felt I'd love to have a different version for Australia as, as overseas, you know, because you are talking about a different dynamic in an audience, absolutely, in the U.S. 
you're talking about a national hero who may not be uh, so much of a hero overseas, no matter what the media says they were back in the day. You know, they're, they're just, you know, in certain territories they're known, but in a hell of a lot of territories, no one knows who we're making the film about. No, that's right. But uh, in actual fact, the film's very beautiful, it seems to me. And uh, one of the things that's so beautiful about it is actually the way... Uh, I was very impressed with the way you do keep him in the centre of the camera and the and that you get the people who loved him to be mm. the ones who talk about him uh, and actually the people who made lots of money out of him uh, or people who had fights with him uh, yes. are really quite extraneous. I think that's a really telling piece of uh, filmmaking dynamic. Can you tell yes. me about that? Well, it's it's, it's uh, not so much those that loved him, but those that were intrigued by him. Of course, you know, love love <laughs> usually came with the intrigue. But you know, it's like I, I um, people like Martha Trout, who who was his sort of tour mother and um, one of the women that were very in the non-romantic, uh, inclined women that were very close to him and. Um, you know, it's sort of like when you when you listen to her interview, it's like she's intrigued with this strange beast, you know, who had this magnetic ability, and and through that, yes, she loved him, and uh, and a lot of the people in the film did. But it was almost like we're trying to um, look at what made him him, like the intrigue. Yes. Whereas um, you're, you're perfectly right. The people that ended up exploiting him, um, both for immediate gain and also you know there were some that friends that exploited him after he died as well you know yeah. by selling their stories or doing salacious interviews you know they they fell by the wayside because i felt you know i sort of felt if michael was there consciously watching he would be saying don't interview him don't interview <laughs> them you know it's like uh, i'm over that guy you know it's like and so it it really is um and, it's, and that's not the story I was I was wanting to tell. You know, I didn't want to tell the stories of mismanagement and you know the the problems with not selling enough records or you know the pressures of all that. I wanted to tell the story of the person going through this journey, and the journey is a classic, you know, um, rags to riches type story. But what the repercussions of of that can be, you know, like a cautionary tale. And um, and I found the only ones that were really observant of that were the people that, that you know, did love and admire and, and, as I said, intrigued by him. And so that they saw him in the morning, you know, waking up in bed. They saw him crying alone in the bathtub. And they saw, you know, they, even, even that girl at the very end who only knew him for three months, you know, it's like she saw a side of him that, a hell of a lot of the more exploitative or even just the male friends in his life didn't didn't get to see because, you know, he, he felt very open and secure in front of the women in his life. And he was always, with the men in his life, he tended to be putting on a show and, you know, like men tend to do, you know, acting all blokey and locking antlers and, you know, showing off and things like that. But in front of the women of his life and it wasn't always the sexual relationships he just um he just opened up and i i felt that was a very important part of the story yeah i think so too 
tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. You're on Sharia with Annie and we're in the middle of listening to a conversation I had with Richard Lowenstein who is the director, filmmaker behind Mystify which is a documentary around uh, discovering Michael Hutchins, the lead singer of In Excess and uh, it brings to mind, this uh, documentary is so... uh, compelling to me anyway, that it brings to mind the fabulous uh, film that was made about Amy Winehouse uh, in the sense that it actually focuses on that individual rather than the drama of all the people around them. Anyway, let's continue. In terms of the film itself, I find the film, your filmmaking, is very like a... uh, a brocade, a beautiful piece of material that's got lots of elements and uh, uh, lots of layers uh, because I noticed as I was watching it that uh, the soundtrack, uh, I I was never annoyed. It it was always uh, a beautiful and revealing element to the whole uh, piece. Can you tell me about the work that went into making the visuals and the soundtracks work together so well? Well, um, to, on that front, you really have to um, credit the entire team because, you know, there's there's literally um, four of us, you know, working through the night every night, which is the three editors and our cinematographer who is very closely um, aligned with the visual look of everything and and filming a lot of the rostrum camera stuff and everything. And that's Andrew De Groot, is our sort of producer-stroke-cinematographer, Lynn-Marie Milburn, producer-stroke-editor, um, Taylor Martin, our other editor, and myself, editor and um, occasional director. And so it's um, it really is this, you know, it, I like. I, I'm not being falsely humble here. It really is the four of us sort of um, discussing everything. And as you say, I mean, it's, you're the first person who said it. Martin was very perceptive, sort of embroidering this piece of brocade until it's, you know, until it sort of shines and and looks beautiful and and finally wrought and everything. And and again, I think we're doing that with the spirit of what Michael would have wanted. I mean, when he was alive, he was in absolute horror at the ugliness of the tabloid press that was following him around. There was no aesthetic involved or anything. It was just raw ugliness. And yet when he when he met a a um, intelligent journalist, he would sit there and, you know, talk for hours and trust them and love them and and, you know, give them these great in depth interviews. And I think, you know, that's I was sort of knew all about that and I knew that rather than the tabloid and the tabloid-style documentary legacy that was being left behind, I knew he wanted something (laughs) of this sort of craftsmanship because he certainly did when it was music videos. And so why wouldn't, if he was going to, if he was up there looking down or whatever, you know, whatever the afterlife holds, he, even if there was nothing, he would have wanted something 
respectful, like the music videos we we made together. And so we, we you know, it was it's no coincidence the same team that made some of his um, best music videos. And so we we sat there and we we did it with that same theory, like this is the kind of respect that Michael would have wanted, and this is the kind of finely wrought detail that he would have wanted. And um, and but also on top of that. It's what we wanted as well. So, you know, and that's and that's how that is exactly how we made the videos. He trusted us and said, I, "I know what kind of work you do, so go forth and do it." And then he came along at the end and said, "Yep, that's great," or "No, it's not." You know, usually he said, "Yep, that's great," and you know, pity you couldn't have lit me a bit better or something like that. <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah. you know, it's like uh, that, and that's uh, that's the same. The same thing. He probably would have looked at some of the stuff at the end of the film and going, "Oh, don't put that in. I look a bit, you know, out of it or something," you know. But um, it's, so it, it is. It's not. It's not a love fest, but it's trying to get to the bottom of who he really was, you know. And also by using a lot of the camera um, material, the home movie material that he he himself shot, you know, even though it's pointed away from him, he's not the subject of it because he's pointing the camera at Kylie or he's pointing it down a corridor of a train or something. Um, you know, it's it's um, normally films like this sort of want as many images of their subject as possible, but I wanted to show what Michael was filming as well. You know, so you sort of get you get the feeling of Michael not only by seeing him but but seeing what he was filming or recording or saying, all that combination of stuff. Yeah, that was that was really terrific, and I must say that it gave me an impression of the period itself, you know, the artistic period itself that he was around in. Um, I mean, that sort of uh, really um, almost innocent, but deeply almost debauched as well. <laughs> it's a sort yeah. of a combination of what the eighties was really like. Yes, and you know, he was a very sensual guy, and and it was a very hedonistic, sensual time, and he got. You know, and he got to point his camera at sometimes at sensual things, you know. And and I don't just mean Kylie's bottom, you know. I mean, I think <laughs> Which was actually very actually, beautiful. Very beautiful and very sensual. And he obviously had a love of it. But also, with, you know, when he's walking down that corridor on the Orient Express, you can yeah. feel the sensuality of what he's filming. His camera goes and follows a rose on a table. And, it, you know, and it follows the beautiful plaque as he walks through, you know. You can get a, you can get more communication from that than you can from all the narrators and all the friends in the world telling you anything about him. You know, it was really interesting too. Like I keep, I was thinking about doing this interview, and I was thinking about, I kept coming back to what his that over uh, voice of his uh, sister saying, uh, "Michael was mine." <laughs> yes, yes, he was mine. Yes. He was mine. Well, <clears throat> I think, I think you know. The film is an incredibly Freudian story, you know? isn't it? It's like you've, you've got a you've got a sister, you know, you've got a who's sixteen, seventeen, being handed a baby and has all of her maternal instincts triggering when the mother doesn't have, seem to have any and is running running away and you know chasing fame and fortune in her career, and you've got you know two brothers being torn, torn apart. You've got a a child who is a witness to a, a divorce and spends the rest of his life trying to pull his parents together. I mean, if he can't pull his parents back together, he'll he'll dive into another family. And 
and then the damage when that family, when he he himself is the cause of a family being torn apart. You know, it's it's it, you know, it, it could be um, textbook Freudian psychology 101. You know, it's, yeah, quite extraordinary. And I yeah. suppose the last thing, I mean, you know, you as a filmmaker couldn't have asked for more. But I mean, you know, that that's a bit crude and cruel. But um, yeah. the real real thing that uh, is so remarkable, I suppose, as well, besides the film itself, I think the film is just an incredibly seductive watch and uh, I was very sad I felt sad and in fact I went to a shop to buy something and I had to tell the person behind the counter all about the movie when I'd finished watching it right so it had a big effect yeah Yeah. Um, but uh, it was also the beautiful nature like he really was a talented man like his music is so grand yes I think um, you know especially going back to the old 80s days you know the Melbourne with people and the, mm. you know the Nick Cave crowd and everything which we who we love, but um, they were very, you know us all of us were very snobbish about superficial Sydney music. But um, yeah. I, we very quickly learned that Michael and In Excess weren't in that. Um, no, they weren't, weren't in that, in that world, frame. That, you know they were they were worthy of a greater respect. And I initially, when I got dragged into their world, I was very. Um, cynical about them like oh this is this is sellout music you know but then people like you know Chris Bailey the Saints um, appreciated Michael you know and and what he did Nick Cave ended up becoming a great friend and you know he sort of was had this ability to transcend all those boundaries that and and that archetyping of like oh you know and and not a lot of Sydney bands were able to achieve that no no he was actually musical yeah, yeah, <laughs> and also, and also with, um, you know, also not not just musical in a, in a very basic, ordinary way. It's it's actually, you know, he was always trying to reinvent and trying to take influences from soul and rhythm and blues and funk and everything, and and really try to do something. I mean, there was very few um, Australian bands trying to deal with. Dance music and funk music, you know, back at that time. But take it seriously, not just be a fashionable band like you know that was going to arrive and disappear like Duran Duran. It was he was trying to do something special with it and saying, you know, it doesn't just have to be Aussie pub rock. It can be actually black inspired or fusion or whatever. And we can we can just proudly show our influences, like like he says in the film, you know the Bee Gees, to Aretha Franklin, you know, to to Serge Gainsbourg. I mean, I think I think that these are great influences to try and mix into the Aussie pub rock scene and, and quite unique, you know. Yeah, I think so too, and a, a great reflection on the period. And as I said in my review, because I do some uh, film reviews here, that uh, I think uh, Michael Hutchins would be uh, honoured by this film. I hope so. I mean, that, we, we, we worked a lot with uh, his close friends who knew him and, uh, you know, we, so we, so we, we wouldn't just say, oh, you know, um, we know what he would have liked. We, we touched base with everyone and um, we sort of tried to, you know, we, and we got approvals and we got opinions from everyone of what he would have wanted. So we tried to, uh, you know, get as close to that as possible and and still stand back enough to be critical and, 
and show the story with all its warts and all. You know? Oh, yeah, because there's plenty of warts. Um, yeah. The other thing is you're taking, I mean, it's it's obviously in selection at a whole lot of different overseas festivals, correct? You're just about at to go the moment, off. Yeah, yeah that's, um, I think it's going to the Carla Vivari and Munich and uh, other festivals lining up. Yeah, well, enjoy yourself and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thanks for a good interview. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Power Radical Radio. Yes, that's right. Power us so that we can bring you 3CR for another year. We still haven't reached our target, $250,000. We need a little bit more in our coffers. So if you are thinking of putting a bit of money our way, then please do so. Uh, If you want to see Mystify, it opens on July the 4th. So it's uh, going to be um, on screens around the place. I know it will be at Nova, but uh, it will be in other places as well. Uh, It's uh, a a really good watch. We're going to go out with uh, another song from In Excess, Never Tear Us Apart, because it's such a uh, dramatic song. And uh, coming up next is Published or Not. Listen for me next week.
Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? Here at 3CR, we're a community radio station, and you're part of that. Right now is Radiothon, when we ask our community to pitch in with a few dollars that can help keep media in the hands of our community. This year, we need to raise $250,000 to keep the station on air. Any amount that you can afford makes a big difference. And it's really easy to donate. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your support is greatly appreciated and helps us power radical podcasts for yet another year. Thanks, as always, for listening.